The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Gracious God, we are thankful for the provided opportunity to sit with you and commune one another, with one another together, but with you. You provide us this opportunity and we get to sing and we get to pray and we get to, to meet with one another and experience you in those various ways. And now we get to sit and hear your word. It's a privilege. Thank you. But I want to ask, Father, that this morning as you, as you present your word to us, that you would cause it to to come to us in maybe a different way, maybe a, a slightly more reflective or contemplative way, and give us minds inclined to halt and hear, to soak and take it in. These are not sometimes easy or common elements of life for us. So slow us down, please, Spirit of God, this morning. And meet with us. Please do that. Control all the various things that may distract us, circumstances around us, but most of all, control our hurrying hearts that just don't like to sit Drop a chair for us and sit with us this morning and commune with us. And the particular issue this morning, Lord, would you, would you address it where needed? And some probably need it more than others right now. But bring it up before us and address it and communicate to us your presence and your care. Meet with us, please, Lord. Build us up, build your church, and honor your name. It is in that great name, the name of Jesus, the Son, that we pray. Amen. It's been said that the longest distance in a person's life is the 18 inches between the head and the heart. And from experience, we all know what that means. Things we know as fact, and in one sense, do genuinely believe without argument. Believe it. They just never manage actually to travel from our brains to our hearts, to, to our lives, to be lived out. It's true in all of life, and it's certainly true in the, in the Christian life as well. We can, and we do, know many things about God, and, and know them without argument, without objection, I'm not saying that we don't have any questions, that there aren't things that we wonder about. We wonder about this doctrine and how that works. But I'm saying that if you are a Christian, God has opened your eyes and you do truly know some things. You do truly know him. That, that's a fact. He's opened your eyes to that. And we're thankful for that. And sometimes that just lives up here, though, and we, we want it to come to here, to the spot where it actually hits our lives. We want to experience it, to feel it. 
to rejoice and to weep and to commune and, and to, to live with these truths and with this God that we know and, and do really know. This, this journey, and this can be a long one. And to help us with that journey, God has given us the Psalms because he very much wants to help us with that journey. He, he wants that too. He doesn't want us, his people, whom he loved, to just live with head knowledge. He, he wants us to actually commune with him. And he knows how we're made and knows that we struggle with that. And realizing that, he's given us the Psalms designed to touch us and to massage our hearts in the various pains and struggles and confusions and to deal with us and to relight embers that kind of grow cold and, and to touch wounds and heal them and to pour water on, on land that's dry, give us refreshment. He, he wants to actually not just address formal knowledge, but heart lived out life. Psalms are helpful for that, given to us in poetry, song, and prayer. And as poetry, song, and prayer, some of us just don't get that. And we read the Psalms, we come to the Psalms, we read them like the newspaper, like a science book, and you miss them. Or you know that you're missing them and you, and you struggle with them, they're kind of difficult. It's, it's, it's there, something's there. God is indeed teaching us, but he's teaching us in a different way. It's, it's, less, it's less like a classroom and more like a chair by the fire with a poem. It uses a lot of figurative language. The, the Psalms are, are heavy, not on literalism. They're heavy on, on figurative expression and emotional vulnerability. And they demand time. You've got to sit with them. Bring other things that you know and sit with them. And, and slow down. And lay before God vulnerably your life and your heart. He gives us the psalm so that we can encounter him and draw near to him. And that aspect of, of encountering or drawing near to God, that in particular is the heightened focus of 15 of the psalms, which together are called the psalms of ascent. Numbers 120 to 134. They weren't all written together. They were written in different places. And they were drawn together and, and put together, compiled we don't know when, we don't exactly know why. There are lots of different theories, and in the end, none of them matter. It doesn't matter. Probably, though, it seems that they were used for people who were going up to Jerusalem, maybe traveling there for the feasts. It's not clear. But physically, probably approaching the temple, approaching the house of God, drawing near to God, they're physically doing something that these psalms then are designed to help us spiritually do to approach and draw near, to ascend into the presence of God. Not to come to him physically, but to come to him spiritually, ascending to him. And so that's what we're going to be after the next number of weeks as we look at the, the Psalms of Ascent, trying to travel through these Psalms, that 18-inch journey from head to heart, and draw near to God in a different way. So we're going to start this morning in Psalm 120, let me read it, and then we'll look at it through two observations. One's quite a bit shorter, and then one's longer. Psalm 120. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 120. Two observations, and here's the shorter one, kind of addressing the the situation, the problem. God knows, and we can be honest about, the great distress of lies and slander. God knows, and we can be honest about, the great distress of lies and slander. Verse 1 begins, In my distress I called to the Lord, The psalmist is in distress, which is not necessarily a crisis or a sudden disaster, like we might think of a distress signal coming from a a ship that's sinking. It could be something like that, but it doesn't doesn't need to be, because really the core of the word distress is, is about the idea of pressing or restricting, like water being pressed into a narrows or a straits, or a package being wrapped up and bound up and tied up and constricted and and pressed together. So really, if we think about this, what we should be hearing here and feeling is a mounting pressure, something being forced in. I'm hard-pressed. I'm distressed. By what? Well, not by financial pressures, not distressed by violence, but verse 2, I need to be delivered from, freed from lying lips, the deceitful tongue. Mentioned again also in verse 3. The psalmist is in some way a victim of deception. Maybe lies told to him, but probably meaning lies told about him. To slander him. To hurt him. And it feels like a violence done to him over and over and over again, repeatedly so, such that this is his world day after day. I live in Meshech, verse 5 and following among the tents of Kedar, and I've been there in the midst of these folks for far too long. This is not literal statement. This is, this is poetic imagery mentioning two peoples. He's an Israelite, of course. And Israel's his home, but he's mentioning two peoples that are respectively far to the north up near the Black Sea and far to the south down the desert. They are not Israelites. They're not of the people of God, and they're not good, respectable, kind, and gracious people, these two groups he mentions. It's kind of like he's saying... I live among barbarians. These people around me right now, they're just like the nasty people of those two tribes. They hate peace. They are constantly for war. Constantly violent. Not not physically violent, but, but violent with their tongues, with their lying lips. Me, I'm for peace, he says. And really the language is not just expressing a a preference, like I I like peace, but I am peace. I'm peaceful. I'm about shalom. I I live it out, I pursue it, but it does no good. I turn the other cheek, and all they do is they slap that one too, and they attack, and they backstab, and they attack again, slaying me with more lies. I am hard-pressed, and I'm in distress. Woe to me. What am I to do? 
This is not for your information's sake. This is for your identification's sake. Have you ever been there? Think about it. Attacked by people who are trying to say mean and hurtful things about you. Now, I suppose you could also rope in people who are just mean accidentally, but they are trying to trap you and trying to slander you because they want to hurt you. You hear about it and you say, what? That's not true. I didn't say that. At least not like you mean it. That's not who I am. You're misrepresenting me. What do you do about that? Oh yeah, I suppose you could try to chase down every conceivable misrepresentation of you, every lie, if you want to live your life monitoring everybody else's Facebook pages and refute them all and give more life to the story. You could do that, I suppose, but you don't want to. How tiresome is that and futile? Nobody's going to believe it anyway because they're all talking to people who are inclined to believe them, not you. And the lies are carefully concocted and they seem plausible. And once that idea gets planted, they can't ever unthink it about you. They may wonder, but they'll wonder. And your reputation is over. Shot. And the attack succeeded. What are you to do? Have you ever been there? Maybe you haven't been. Maybe nobody has ever done something like this to you, and nobody ever will, and you are really fortunate. But most of us have been in this situation, pressed in by it, restrained by that lie, and you're trapped in a world that is now against you and you suffer for it. You know that people are thinking things about you. Every now and then you hear a report come back, and every now and then you meet somebody and you think you perceive, I think that person's heard my name and their perception changed. I think their body posture, just because probably because they've heard this about me, my reputation precedes me. I don't know, but I think maybe, because I know some things are out there online about me. But you never really know. So you walk around a world that's pressing in around you, you think, and, and you walk into a room full of perhaps strangers, but perhaps people who already know you and see you coming and think they understand what you're about and what you're like. There's a restriction there, there's a confining there, and you're going to get up tomorrow and face it again because these people aren't done talking about you. Not until you're totally destroyed. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've even had an added layer of pain on it because that person who's doing that is a former spouse or workmate who knows you really well and knows what to say and how to say it. And so there's a perceived great vulnerability. I'm not sure what they're going to say or to whom or how. And I feel like you're walking around half naked all the time. Who are you going to meet who's been told what? This can be very perplexing. 
And it's a psalm inspired by God because he knows we face this kind of situation sometimes in this life and are threatened by it and hurt by it. That old children's chant, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is not true. This psalm points out that some words can very much hurt you, and that's the truth, and we can say that out loud. We can acknowledge that. God wants us to acknowledge it. He wants us to know, I understand that. Here it is. I want you to to take this psalm here and, and use this to give voice to where you live right now and where you may live next week. He gives us this prayer, this, this song, so that we can speak it in our perplexing distress and then do something with it. You must do something with it. It's not enough to stop right here and say, yeah, I'm there, that's me. Ah! We've got to do something with it, which is the second observation. He knows, and we can be honest about this great distress, lies and slander told against us. What do we do with it? Secondly, cry out to God amidst such distress. Cry out to God amidst such distress. When you're in this spot, Christian, Follow this faithful saint, this, this model given here, and cry out to God. He is the one we must turn to, and we must turn to him. There are all kinds of other, of other options that are going to present themselves to us. So when you're in that situation, when you identify with this, what, what do you do? Well, it probably depends a little bit on who you are and exactly what the circumstance is, but it kind of tends to go two different ways. Sometimes we are inclined to retaliate, are we not? to argue back, to criticize, to fight, to confront, to set the record straight. And indeed, sometimes the record does need to be set straight. I'm not saying it never should be, but most often what really happens there, what's really going on is my anger gets vented and sin flows out of me, and sin is never a good response to sin. We must not counterattack to put them in their place. And be careful with that, even when you're, you're dialoguing about the situation with some sympathetic friend. It can be really tempting to try to get something off your chest with somebody who's close to you. And you tell your friend all about how atrocious so-and-so is and how bad they are and all the mean things they're doing and how they're attacking you and hurting you. And before you know it, what's coming off of your lips is the same thing. To a friend, to a spouse, it's really easy to fall into that kind of a sinful response, a retaliation. But on the other hand, maybe more like the psalmist. Seems like the psalmist is outnumbered, and so retaliating isn't a good idea. Maybe. Setting the record straight is not possible because you're on the wrong side of the power equation. 
Verse 5, he says, woe to me. That is, that's a, a tipping point statement. What, what he, how he means it is, I'm, I'm in a bad spot here. This is difficult. But that's right on, on the edge of becoming kind of like an Eeyore. The Winnie the Pooh character, woe is me, all is lost. There's a, I am not going to put up with that, or, oh, oh, woe is me, it's as hopeless. And, and the lies told about us begin to define us. We take them on and begin to almost believe them about ourselves and our own situation. Literally, woe to me, literally, that's a pronouncement of self-curse. I'm a goner. I'm doomed. And it's easy to begin to believe that, to hear that. All that's going on out there, and I, hear, I feel the distressing pressure, and I, I know the lay of the land all around me, and they lie, and they deceive, and they put me down, and they make me a nobody, and they drag me through the dirt, and it's all over the internet, and it's, it's the gossip of the office, and all of my former friends think that I'm this and that and the other, and I'm worthless, and I'm bad, crazy, and foolish, and incompetent. I have nothing. I am nothing. I'm a nobody in anybody's eyes, probably because I'm a nobody, and I have nothing, and I'm worthless, and it's hopeless. Oh, oh, is me. I'm not trying to make fun of that. That's the other option. And that, that the lie out there does become what we actually think. Those are two pretty different responses. One's angry. And one's hopeless. But they are actually quite similar in that they are both consumed with this. And they lean into what's here. And neither one of them are Godward. And God gives us this psalm to provide another way to draw us Godward, to help us ascend to him. Call out to the Lord in this situation. Lord. And you say it in your chair by the fire with your Bible and with tears because you're being honest. Lord, I am so distressed. I'm so hurt. mad, I'm confused, worried, I'm so stuck and hard-pressed and I'm vulnerable, you call out to God like that, and you do that believing something. This is, this is the prayer of a believer, you do that believing something. Something that we who live this side of the coming of Christ can know and believe even more vividly than the psalmist could, having to look forward. 
Christian, when you call out to the Lord like that, you call on one who took on flesh and blood like you and was tempted and suffered in every sort of way like you and is able to sympathize with your trials and temptations and sorrows and fears and vulnerabilities in every respect and who knows what you need in the midst of them. From personal experience, You call out to him, Lord, I am distressed, I'm hurt and confused and worried. And he says, I know, I get it. When the Lord Jesus, the faithful worshiper, walked the earth and carried around his psalm book, and read for himself the psalms of ascent, perhaps on his own journey up to Jerusalem, and came to Psalm 120. He identified with it more than you or I ever will. Lying lips, moved by the great deceiver himself, made war on the Prince of Peace and placed him in great distress every moment of every day of his life. Declaring what was not true and misleading people and dragging Jesus' reputation through the mud and falsely accusing him in the court of public opinion and in the literal court of the Sanhedrin and that of Rome. And when lied about and reviled and cursed, slandered in the most evil of ways, he did not retaliate in anger, nor did he lose himself in hopeless self-pitying depression. Instead, he called out to the Lord in his distress and entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And the Father answered him. The Father gave him the fullness of his Holy Spirit, the presence of God, real. Not here, here. The presence of God, real. Ultimately, the Father gave him communion with himself. Life here, and then life again from the dead. When you call out to the Lord, Christian, you're calling out to one who does completely understand, more than you do, your situation and has walked through it successfully, walked through it in your shoes, who gets it and who got from the Lord and therefore can give to you what he got in the moment of your need. He will give to you when you sit before him Honestly and vulnerably and open-handedly, open-heartedly, Lord, help. And he'll give to you in a couple of ways in particular. First, he'll give to you verses 3 and 4. Which will relieve your felt need to get them back. He'll say to you, I, I get it, I understand, and let me tell you something, let me give you this. I judge justly. In 3 and 4, the distressed psalmist is, is talking about these threatening deceivers. They're, they're attacking him, and what's going to come to you? 
you enemy? What will you get? What will be inflicted upon you? And he says, you'll be pierced by sharp arrows. You'll have hot coals heaped upon you. Evidently, broom tree coals were known for burning hot and long. The, the Kingston variety, not the generic. You're going to have really, really good, really, really hot coals in your lap and a host of arrows in your chest. That's what's going to come to you, you attacking enemy. Is he pleased with that? Is he like awkwardly gloating? It doesn't say that. It just says this is the truth. Perhaps you could read it if you were an enemy. You could read that and find it a warning, but this is part of the psalmist's prayer. This is not actually warning to the deceiver. This is encouragement to him. Nobody gets away with anything. I judge justly. I will take care of it. Justice will be done. And this is where we can and must leave these distresses, the, the pressure, the attacks that come against us, we have some feeling that something's not right if this is allowed to stand. And the first thing that this one gives to us as we sit with him and, and open our hearts in front of him, the first one he gives us is it doesn't stand. It gets answered. Rightly and justly. Leave it at the feet of the one who judges justly. They fire arrows at you, I'll fire arrows at them. They, they with a tongue of fire, attack you. They'll get what they deserve. Leave it with me. That's part of the answer. That's an important part of the answer. But it, it's not the only answer. Because that may be, that will be, that may be, but that doesn't actually address the, the hurt. That justice will be done is good, and it must, there's got to be a, the loop has to be closed. That's good, but the hurt isn't addressed by that. For that, we need to think again about five and fo verses 5 and following. You sojourn among liars and slanderers where they don't give you peace. They attack your reputation. They threaten your social standing, your honor, respectability, friendship. They rob you of opportunities, maybe at work or maybe in school in some academic environment or some athletic environment. They, they rob you of something, and an opportunity is lost because of that. And the security that would come with it. Something in one of those categories is what's distressing. So hold right there. If, if you were somewhere else, come back. Hold right there and think. Maybe even you write this down on your paper if, if you have something or type it into your your pad or your phone. What exactly distresses you about those lies, those slanders in your situation? What hurt 
it, it might be different in the different situations that we find ourselves in. What exactly is it? Something in, in that, that lie, that slander, something is, I, I gave a, a bunch of categories there, something, your reputation is attacked or your social standing is threatened, and that's not a light thing. We, we find home and, and peace amongst a community, and the lie and the slander kicks you out of it. That's real. Something maybe was, was taken from you, some opportunity or some work or some delight, some friend. The slander or the lie took something from you, impinged upon your freedoms, took life from you. What is it for you? That's what you've got to write down. Because we've got to get behind the feeling. I feel hurt. Why? This is a key, I'm kind of laboring on this because this is an important piece of help. What exactly is going on inside of me? I feel, why? Can I put some words on that? What hurts? Why? And the prayer then is, Lord, deliver me from that. He says, deliver me from lying lips, but why does that matter? Because of that. Deliver me from that. That's behind, that's caused by, that the lying lips lead to, the deception affects me in this way. It's not just give them what they deserve, it's help me. Deliver me from the danger or from the loss that I'm experiencing because of this. You cry out to him. You, you take the piece of paper on which you wrote down what it actually is that, that hurt you, what, what's, been, what's happened to you, and you cry out to him with that, Lord, I'm afraid of this. I'm worried about that. I feel vulnerable in this way. I have lost this. You lift that up to him and you cry out to him face to face with this God, and what do you find there? What do you find there? I understand that, child. I understand you. I'm here with you. Peace. Shalom. Is your reputation destroyed? In their eyes, maybe. Are you going to lose something? Well, yes. But I, the Lord, bestow favor and honor. Psalm 84. I, the Lord, bestow favor and honor. They took from you. I, the Lord, Bestow favor and honor, and I withhold no good thing from you. I have you. Do you see me? I have you. I know you. You sojourn here in the midst of all this garbage. Uh-huh. I am your true home. 
and you're not fully there yet. I'm here with you, but I promise you, I'm not just going to be here with you. I'm going to take you one day finally fully to the place where the deceiver is no more. I'm your home. This is your hope, Christian. And this is good news. If you'll sit with it, let it sink in and cry out to the Lord along these lines. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're on the journey from the head to the heart. You sit with Him and you cry out to Him, your Deliverer. And by His Spirit, you preach these things to yourself. You bestow favor and honor. They take, you give. You're the one who gives me favor and honor. You're the one who gives me what I need. You are my peace forever. You are my deliverer. And this is sweet. This is sweet. Even more so if you think, you see, they lie and you see, you know the truth and you give honor and favor. You know the truth about me. And if you keep thinking about that, you know the truth about me. You know the truth about me. You know the truth about me. And if you keep thinking about that, this becomes even more sweet because he knows the truth about you. Do you ever wonder, maybe as you sit there with this and you work it through and you, and you think about, Lord, free me from the lying lips. From the, you think about that and you roll it around and you pause. Do you ever wonder, has anybody ever prayed this psalm about me? About what I've done? Someone surely could have. You yourself have had and still can even do have lying lips and a deceiving tongue. None of us is a stranger to this. Verse 3 could rightly be spoken about each of us. What shall be given to you, deceitful man? To you, slanderous woman. This very week, I'm preparing this passage, right? I'm reading it and thinking about it, and I then... I hear words coming off my tongue about someone else. Now, they weren't lies. They were all true. But they're coming off my tongue, things I wouldn't want said about me, words that certainly were not words of peace. What about me? What, what, what should be given to me? in that spot. What about you, Christian? What should be given to you in that spot? We can identify with verse 3 in another sense. It's for sure. And yet, though I can identify with that, though you can't, the sharp arrows and the glowing coals of verse 4 have been given to another in your place. The only one who did not deserve them at all but in mercy made himself an object of scorning and slander and deception for this very reason, because if he didn't, you'd be lost to him in an enmity with God forever, and he wanted peace with you. 
He knows the truth about you. And that's why he came. To claim you and deliver you from this distress to favor and honor with him forever, to bring shalom to you. And that peace will be yours one day, and it can be yours even right now in the midst of distress if you will sit with the psalm and cry out to the Lord in the middle of all the garbage. To ascend to him, not to stay here and try to deal with it here, but to ascend to the Lord and say, help. And he will draw near and say, I deal with justice, and I give you life. They take it, I give it. That's good news. That's a sweet hope that God wants to bring to you in the middle of something very real. You have to sit with it and read it and contemplate and cry out to him. And if you do, you'll find life. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.